Our text for this morning is coming from Luke 2, verses 15 through 20. Let's open our Bibles again and read from that. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured, all the, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. After the sermon, we will respond with singing from hymn 20, stanzas 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the past 30 days, or maybe more, many of us have concerned ourselves with one big question. What are we going to do for Christmas? I know that I've had to give it a lot of thought to as I was tasked with leading this Christmas service. And I know that many of you have had to consider out uh, working out schedules and plans for the holidays, trying to pick a day when everyone could get together, going through the menu, and deciding on who is going to bring what to the party. And of course, we've all had to give it a little bit of thought to Christmas if we were going out to buy gifts for our loved ones. So preparing for Christmas, knowing what we're going to do for Christmas is a big deal for us. But have you given much thought to this question? What are you going to do after Christmas? What are you going to do when all the gifts have been given, when the party is over, when the trees and the lights are put back in the basement, when the caroling ends, and when Shine FM goes back to playing their regular songs? For me personally, I have mixed feelings. On the one hand, Christmas is a very busy time of year, and it's kind of nice to get back into the regular routine after the holidays. But on the other hand, I hate to see Christmas go. In fact, I tend to get a little down in the dumps right after the holiday season because everything seems to fly by so quickly. In the span of one afternoon and evening, we get together, we eat all the food that's prepared, some of us open our presents that day, we play some games, and just like that, we go back home and it's all over. Some people suffer the annual Christmas letdown. There's nothing left to look forward to except for a few more months of cold and wintry weather. But I hope that this morning's sermon will change your and my perspective on that. I hope that this morning's service will not just give us something to think about after Christmas is over, but it will give us something to do, something to look forward to, and something to praise God about in the days, months, and years ahead. In our passage today, we are going to see that the shepherd's response to the good news of Christ's birth we're going to first see in, in the first place how they responded immediately, secondly how they responded publicly, and third how they responded devoutly. So first, as they responded immediately. Verse 15 tells us that the angels had left them and went back into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, I'll begin by highlighting two interesting details here. First, the shepherds clearly recognized that it was the Lord who spoke these things to them. Now, if you look through the verses we read this morning, 
where the Bible tells us about the angels appearing to the shepherds, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to them and that the glory of the Lord shone around them. But nowhere do we read that the Lord himself appeared or spoke to the shepherds. So why do the shepherds now say that the Lord told them these things? It's because they know that the angels are messengers of God and spokesmen of the Lord himself. And they know that they've been in the very presence of the Lord when his glorious radiance was displayed. And when the fear and awe of the Lord and his holiness filled their hearts and souls. Just as Jacob realized after his dream in Bethel, where he saw the angels ascending and descending from heaven above, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. So too, the shepherds knew that they had seen the glory of the Lord, and they heard his voice speak to them. Another point of interest, and it's somewhat of a minor point, is that the shepherds come to see the Christ child without ever being explicitly commanded to go. Yes, the angels told them that the Christ the Savior was born, and they told them the sign, the prophecy of Isaiah 9, that it accompanied his birth. Behold, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Certainly, as Kelvin notes, the shepherds had been made sufficiently aware that this was the design of God that this is what God intended for them to do. But they were not expressly commanded to come. This shows that what they did was an act of faith. They believed what they heard, and now they wanted to go see what this thing that had happened. But the main point here is that they did so in haste. They left their fields, they left their flocks at once and hastened to Bethlehem to find Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. We would be right to say that there was a great sense of urgency in their hearts and souls. There was significance and importance to that event. That moment took precedence over everything else. It was one of those drop everything you're doing and come right away moments. Granted, for us, those moments are often accompanied by bad news. Either a child fell at school and is hurt or a loved one has had a heart attack. A family member is in intensive care. Those are the moments of crisis, and we respond with a sense of urgency. But that's what makes the response of the shepherds so wonderful and refreshing. The news that they just heard excites them. It thrills their souls, and they don't let a moment pass. As soon as the angels depart, they don't stand around gawking into the heavens or pinching themselves to see if what they said was all a dream, or to debate if what the angels said could be true. No. They don't doubt the message of the good news. Rather, they receive it in faith. They show that by their actions, as they make haste to Bethlehem to see this thing that had happened. They show what Kelvin calls the readiness of faith. As they not only believe the message of the angels, but as they call to mind the prophecy of Isaiah, and they leave at once to see the one who is born to Mary, to see the one who is born as their Savior and Lord. And beloved, I considered this aspect of the passage. I wondered in my own heart if we ourselves possess that same urgency, that same excitement, and that same readiness of faith as we hear and receive the good news each Lord's Day. The danger for us is that we take the good news for granted. We lose interest in the gospel. That we've heard the good news so often that we're not awed by it any longer. We're not changed by it, much more changed by it anymore. 
But that should never be the case with us. We should always respond to the good news with excitement and enthusiasm, with an eager expectation of God's grace and goodness. And let me illustrate that with an example of, and paying attention to the children here. Boys and girls, when you guys got your Christmas presents this Christmas, did you just sit there and look bored? Did you kind of roll your eyes, look at mom and dad, and say, oh, it's no big deal. I get gifts like this every year. What's one more? Did you tell your mom and dad that you're going to go watch TV? Maybe read a book? Did you tell them that, oh, maybe I'll open my presents the next day or the day after that? Have you ever responded to Christmas like that? I doubt it. Every child I know can't wait to get their gifts. In fact, when we're we're with our family and the time comes to open presents and the announcement is made suddenly from the basement and upstairs or wherever the kids are, you hear this loud screaming and the thundering of feet as the children come running in haste. They come readily and cheerfully to open their presents. Congregation, That's the way that God, our Father, expects us to receive and to respond to the good news with eagerness and excitement, with a readiness of faith to greet our Savior each Lord's Day, to hear him speak to us again from his word, to sing his praises, and to see what gifts, to see what blessings, and to see what tokens of love our Lord has to give us from his word. So that was the first point. The shepherds responded immediately. And now we're going to consider how they responded publicly. I think it's interesting when we read Matthew's account of the Christmas story, he gives few details about the wise men who came to see Jesus. Their visit would have come sometime later, even several days after the shepherds had left. We're told what gifts they brought and that they bowed down and worshipped before Jesus the king. But we're not told very much about the visit of the shepherds as they come to see Mary, Joseph, and the baby. Luke spends no time at all telling us what was said or done, or even how long they stayed. We're only told what they did after they left. We're told that when they seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. In other words, Luke's emphasis is not on the shepherds meeting with Jesus, but on their testimony that followed. For the shepherds made like evangelists, like street preachers. They took the message of Christ's birth to the streets of Bethlehem, telling others what the Lord had told them about this child. The Bible informs us that what they said was not without effect. It's not like the citizens of Bethlehem turned a deaf ear to them or discounted what they were saying because they were lowly shepherds, or that they figured that the shepherds might have had a bit too much to drink and then stumbled into town and were passing around some fantastic story. No, The people seemed to believe what the shepherds said, for they were amazed. They were astonished. But here we have to qualify this amazement for a bit. Amazement and astonishment is not the same thing as faith. That would hold true even as Jesus and the apostles preached the gospel and did powerful signs. People were amazed, but that did not believe they mean they believed. Here in Luke 2, I think it's accurate to say that the people believed what the shepherds told them in as far as they believed that something incredible had happened that night. 
Perhaps the urgency in which the shepherd spoke and acted was enough to convince him that it was true. And yet nowhere do we read that hundreds of people flocked to the manger to worship baby Jesus. The people were amazed, but it did not result in a desire to act or burning zeal to go and see the Lord, to worship the newborn Savior. About this, John Calvin notes that the design of publishing this report was not so much for the salvation of the people, but to render ignorance the whole, of the whole people inexcusable. Matthew Henry chimes in on this note as well, saying about the people, they wondered, but never inquired further about their Savior, their duty to him, or advantages by him. But let the thing drop as a nine days wonder, like a novelty that loses its appeal after a few days. Oh, the amazing stupidity of the men of that generation. One of the hidden gems in this passage is that it shows us so clearly that the good news of salvation is a message not to be kept to ourselves. It's to be shared with others. And yet, these shepherds were not ordained ministers. They were not highly educated men, nor were they highly respected citizens of Bethlehem. And we have no reason to believe that they were elegant in speech or skilled in the art of rhetoric. They never attended a Stephen's ministry seminar. They never took a 40 days of purpose course. And they were never taught the two ways to live method of sharing the gospel. Here they are, humble, lowly shepherds, unschooled, unsophisticated, and unreliable as they may have seemed, yet they were the first human heralds of the gospel. They were the first to spread the glad tidings, the good news of salvation, that Jesus Christ, the Savior, was born. Sometimes we hear those sermons in which the minister tells us that we're called to be witnesses, that we're called to share the faith with others and give an answer for the hope that is within us. We offer a bevy of arguments and excuses and reasons that we, can, that we either cannot or should not have to tell anybody about Christ. We're not trained evangelists. What will I say? Where do I start? What if they ask me something that I don't know the answer to? Or we say, I'm not ordained. Evangelism is, happens here in the church. This is where the gospel is preached and I am no minister. Or we say, I subscribe to the lifestyle evangelism method. I let my life and my works speak for me. Yet this passage blows all those poor excuses out of the water. We're told, the shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They didn't go up to people and ask, hey, if you died today, do you know where you would spend eternity? They didn't begin a conversation with some great existential question or ask if they believed in God or in a creator or in some higher power. No, they simply just told them what the Lord had told them. They simply repeated what they were told. That's it. It's as easy as you going to work tomorrow or later this week and saying to your coworker or boss, you know what my minister said in the sermon on Sunday? No, what? And then you tell them what you heard. You can tell them something about the sermon that meant a lot to you. Or you can just tell them the basic theme of the sermon. Or just tell them that you were reminded that we are all sinners in need of salvation. And that is why God sent Jesus. That's it. You repeat the good news. Certainly everyone here has spread the word about something before. 
In fact, many of us are good at it. When we have some good news to share, especially if it's good news about us, we're not just telling our friends and our relatives or the people we meet at church. No, we're telling everyone we meet. We're telling the woman at the checkout counter at Walmart. We're telling our barber or beautician. We're telling the pe person who calls us and about our long distance plan. Hey, I just heard I'm a grandma. Hey, I just got the good news that my son or daughter got promoted or accepted to college or is engaged. We love to spread good news. And it should be no different when it comes to the good news of salvation. In fact, if we want to be truthful about it, the good news of salvation is the most important, most urgent, most relevant news we can share with someone. The fact is, the life of the checkout girl at Walmart is not really going to be impacted much by the news that you're going to be a grandma. But it can be changed if you tell her the good news you heard in church this week or what you read in the Bible for devotions that morning. That's the kind of good news that's not just worth hearing, but it can change and affect people's lives both now and for eternity. So let's not keep the good news to ourselves. Let's not waste the opportunities we're given to make an impact on someone's life. Let's respond to the good news of salvation like the shepherds did, telling others what Christmas really means, who Christ is, why he came, and why sinners like us and all men need Christ so desperately. And our third and final point this morning is that the shepherds responded devoutly. I think it's interesting to note that after all that had happened to them that night, after they went to see Jesus, and after spreading the good news and telling others what they had been told, as verse 20 tells us, they returned to their fields and flocks. They went back to work. They returned to their regular vocation. But they did so as changed men. They did so glorifying and praising God. That is the desired effect of the message of salvation. That is the effect in which the good news should have upon us. It should stir our hearts and our souls within us as we see what a great and glorious God we serve. As we are humbled by the extent to which God will go to save us, to spare us from the coming judgment, and to save us from getting what we deserve. As a result, we too should be rejoicing, glorifying and praising God, not just when we're here in church, but in every part of our lives. So that even when we go back to our vocation, whether that's working in the home or in the school, or working in the office or job site or on the road, the glory and praise of God should be on our lips and on our hearts. We should be every and always rejoicing in the Lord, for his word is true. And this praise and glory should abide with us all of our days, until we are taken up to glory, or until our Lord returns. May his praise always be on our hearts and on our lips. Amen.